Hey friends, we trust your summer's off to a great start. Guess what? The Romans 12 Relate, Refresh, and Restore podcast just hit 50. Yes, we just dropped our 50th episode, which we want to celebrate with you, our dear partners and listeners and subscribers. When we first began thinking of creating a podcast as a branch of what we do here at Romans 12 Ministries, we hoped that the stories and topics would encourage not only ministry leaders and their families, but those who desire to hear what God is doing in and through a variety of people. And from your feedback, we are humbled how Jesus is using this podcast. So thank you for your faithfulness. And we are committed to our mission, which is, by God's grace and goodness, we refresh and restore ministry leaders and their families. And guess what? If you're alive and a follower of Christ, you are in ministry. So to mark our 50th podcast, we are going to, well, we're going to rest a little bit, but we are excited to offer you the best of, yep, our most listened to podcasts these past two years. Enjoy them, and we will return the first week in August with new stories of hope for those on the front lines of ministry, which includes you and me. They're watching you, and you're their example. And I think getting down on their level, instead of saying, I'm the parent, this is what I say, and you follow it, it's more like, I see you. I may not be able to exactly relate to everything you're saying, but I want to hear what you have to say. Hey, welcome to another episode of Relate, Refresh, and Restore, a podcast committed to bringing stories of hope and insight to those on the front lines of Christian ministry. Our desire is for all of us to see, sense, and experience God's voice through their stories. And through these stories, we may see His hand and hear His voice in our lives. The Relate, Refresh, and Restore podcast is brought to you by Romans 12 Ministries, where we are wildly committed to transforming the church, one pastor, missionary, and ministry leader at a time. Defining moments, defining moments, those moments in your life that really have changed you. Sometimes it's things that have been a surprise. Sometimes it's things that are are scary, something that's tragic that's happened, something that's glorious that's happened. Uh, For me, it was 1989 when my daughter, my first daughter, my first child was born, November 16th, 1989. I remember walking out of that hospital with just this renewed feel of, oh my word, now I've got to get serious. I've got to get my life together. I'll never forget that. Well, today I had the opportunity and the, the joy of interviewing my daughter, Maya Robertson. And she just came in and we wanted just to talk a little bit about transitions because I remember vividly when she graduated from high school and how hard that was. And as I talked to pastors and ministry leaders and missionaries, a lot of them are going through that right now. And so we wanted to just to talk about transitions. We wanted to talk a little bit about parenting, about the college experience, uh, some of the things that she's learned about herself and some of the things that we did as parents that were really not maybe correct. And so it's just an honest conversation. I hope um, you enjoy this. I hope that this is something that you can take something away from as you uh, think about your own parenting or or grandparenting and uh, those transitions in life. But uh, defining moments, I'll tell you, this was a joy to be able to do this with Maya, and I hope you enjoy it. Maya is married to Ty. They have two children, Ryder, who is just turned five, and Cody, who's a little over two. They live here in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, Maya is a health consultant with uh, Beachbody and uh, very involved uh, with the community. So 
Hope you enjoy this. Maya Lynn Robertson, thanks for coming in today. Yeah, thank you for having me. You are probably going to be my favorite guest. Well, your Ooh. mom was actually on the podcast, so I can't say you're my favorite. Second. But uh, somebody that I've known probably longer than anybody else that's been on the show. Okay, well, I'm excited. Thanks so much for coming in. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we uh, are taking uh, tackling a topic right now on transitions because the graduation is coming up in a month for many, many people uh, from high school for college. I mean, I even hear there's graduation for kindergarten. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And preschool. Oh, and preschool. Mm -hmm. Your preschooler is going to be graduating. Yeah. From preschool. I know. Oh, my word. Things have changed. I must be old because I only remember uh, <laughs> one graduation, and that was high school. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, man. You got to uh, celebrate all the little moments. Oh, I guess so. I guess that's the way it's going. It sounds very expensive to me. <laughs> but uh, transitions are, you know, there's nothing wrong with them, but they can be hard. Mm -hmm. And I know looking back on our journey, uh, when you went through your, your K-12 years, and then it got to be graduation, there was all kinds of emotions that were floating around and dancing uh, at our house and, and all the different activities, and you went off to college. And so I just want to talk to you about that, because I know we have some listeners right now that are in that boat or grandparents mm -hmm. that are in that boat, and it can be really a, an emotional time. Yeah. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to just talk to you about that. If you're open. I'm open. All right. And you can be transparent. All you right. don't need to, because you know, we were not perfect parents. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like sitting across from your town. <laughs> so um, anyway, my, my tell us a little bit about your story, uh, a little bit, you know, from, from that transition from high school, graduation, and then into college. Yeah. Well, I will say that I am the firstborn, and many times we are referred to as the guinea pig. So all of this was new for me, for you and mom and everyone else. And so, um, I mean, for example, I had to be 13 exactly to watch a PG-13 movie. I'm so sorry. And uh, I decided to watch The Birds. Do you remember that? I do remember that. That was actually a scary movie. Was it in black and white? It Is was. That, yeah. yeah, Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, gosh. <laughs> anyway, we all live and learn. <laughs> but, yeah, I would say that I was the typical firstborn and wanted to please my parents and be obedient and follow in the way that they, you guys, thought that I should. And... Yeah, come senior year, I I think I was done, ready to like go out on my own. You turned 18 in November. I turned 18, so that was kind of early in the school year. So I had November to May um, as this older, like I, I think I use age a lot in the events of my life um, to justify actions because... I liked thinking that I was 18. I'm considered an adult now. Now I can do whatever I want. So, you know, my form of rebellion was being able to buy cigars at the Circle K. Um, and, you know, just experience things that, I mean, staying out past my curfew was probably like one of the worst things I did. So I wouldn't say I was very extreme, but I was pushing the buttons a little bit um, 
decided to date a boy from the public high school, which was a big deal because at private school, you don't really know many people from public school. So being able to say I had a public school boyfriend was very cool. (laughs) And yeah, and I knew that wasn't right, but I think I was just in this navigation, identification period or stage of life where I was trying to figure out who I was because I knew I was going to be on my own soon. And so I felt very lost and I used, yeah, my age to justify what I was doing and then explore what, mm-hmm. what, who, what I was and what I was supposed to do. Right. So you, you weren't comfortable in coming and sharing, hey, you know what, I, I, I really feel like, you know, I can buy cigars, I can, I can stay out late. I mean, it wasn't a conversation that we had at home. So in many ways, you were kind of sly about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that I, I think it was foreign to me of going against what you said. And we never really talked about that. Like, if you, you know, this or that, it was more, you're 18, but you're still under my roof. So you need to do what I do. So since I was doing things, you probably didn't want me to do that I didn't share that. And so um, it just became this, I think started maybe a cycle of secrecy because if you didn't want me to if i knew you didn't want me to do it then i'm not going to tell you because i already know you what you think sure sure so so then you you decided to go out of state for college and so really be on your own Mm -hmm. Uh, but before that there was kind of a a big event in the family that we look back on and we just shake our head going why are we sweating the the small <laughs> stuff? But share that story because I think some people can relate to that. Yeah. And I will say that I don't think I even applied to local schools um, because it was, I think, instilled in me that I need to leave um, the state and have that experience of my own. Tennis was important to you and I was good at it, so I enjoyed it. I'm an Enneagram 3, so if I'm good at something, I'm going to enjoy it. Um, if I'm not good at it, I will give up. But you played tennis in college, and so I wanted to. So I think I just wanted to follow in your footsteps and, again, please you. And so looking back on that, I think leaving was maybe not the best choice. So I really started to feel like I needed to f- start fending for myself, figuring who I was before I was on my own. So the summer before I left for school, I had a good time. Like I was at home and in Seattle as well, and then came back and trying to get as much time with my friends as I could before I left them. And um, yeah, I think it was a week before I went left for college. I was at dinner with a friend and we just randomly decided we were first going to go get just our ears pierced, like our second hole, which, you know, whatever. And went to a piercing place, but it was a tattoo place as well. Well, their piercer was out. And so I'm like, well, we're here. Like, why don't I just get a tattoo? Have absolutely no idea where that thought came from because I never really thought about it. 
Um, and you, we had talked that you know what towns don't do tattoos, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. and all these different things. So everybody, you're listening. There are so many things that I would do differently, and my wife would do differently, and I think that's normal. Uh, as we've grown and learned and, and as our, our children become adults. But one of the things that I have learned is that uh, I was trying to control, not in a malicious way, but trying to control decisions that I thought were best for my kids. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely not the right way. So we just, the message was towns don't do tattoos. We don't talk about it. We just don't do tattoos. We don't drink. We don't talk about it. And so so you chose to get a tattoo. I did. I did. And I think that was an instance I look back on and I don't really necessarily think, well, God allowed it to happen because I try calling you and mom and my sister, anyone and everyone, and no one answered. So I had no one talking to me in or out of it. And it was my decision. And God allowed that to happen because then... It was just another testament to him allowing things and then using that experience to continue to write my story. And so, yeah, $40 later, I got a cross tattoo on my wrist, two lines that took a second. Freaked out that I actually did that. Left and went back to my car and this huge storm hit in Tucson and the power went out everywhere. And so... (laughs) If I had just waited just a little bit, the decision would have been made for me. I think God allowed me to make that decision for myself and now have not necessarily the consequences, but the story about it because then I came home and, you know, I don't know if your parents, if you're listening, have told you that just tell the truth right away because the truth will always come out. My parents said that all the time. And it was finally at 18 years old, a week before I left for college, I was like, I just need to tell them because they're going to find out or I might as well just tell them I'm 18, you know, blah, blah, blah. So went home, told them and it did not go well. But I think that's what made leaving for college a little bit more tender because we were all just very emotionally drained at that point and i don't think it was so much the tattoo it's just the just this idea of our, our girl is now graduating and leaving going to you know 1500 miles you know away and yeah so i i, th- I don't know if it was a tattoo but so let, let's kind of carry on that story mm-hmm. so you then go up to the state of washington to yeah. whitworth mm-hmm. university yeah and yeah, what was that like for you being on your own? Um, it was it was fun, honestly. The first year was fun. I was in an all freshman dorm and I did really enjoy that experience. I was playing tennis for them. And then yeah, sophomore year I explored a little bit with parties and things like that, but still just Kind of was still just navigating, but not rebelling, like going crazy. Um, But then I would say the turning point for that was summer after sophomore year. I worked at a little or a ranch in Montana and 
it was so much fun, but it also was a small town and everyone went to the bars after work and they didn't card you. And there was, if they did, a girl that worked there, she had similar looks to me and had an extra ID and gave that to me. And yeah, I I think I explored drinking because I had been told you just don't do that. And everyone else was doing it. So I did. Um, I met a guy there that was older than me and that intrigued me. Um, he gave me attention and I was already in a navigation, like again, stage of, you know, why don't you drink? Why do you wait for marriage? Why, why do I believe what I believe? Because I feel again, still so lost because I think it was so instilled in me of this is what you believe. This is what you do and don't do. But I never knew why. And I didn't really ask that when I was growing up or anything like that. I just listened and was obedient. And so when I realized that I could ask why, I was at a point where I think experience was, I told myself experience was going to teach me the most. So, yeah. I, so let me ask you this. How, how can parents, because I, I think you're right on, um, it was not a, a home that we asked those kind of questions and had that openness in, in communication, and you didn't feel safe doing that. And I, I meet with a lot of pastors, and they have tried to protect their kids, mm -hmm. but their kids are rebelling. And there's a lot of secrecy mm -hmm. and actually a lot of shame. Yeah. What what advice would you give parents so so there wouldn't be that type of you know lack of communication? I think just letting them know that you're there to just listen, and that if they want to hear your opinion, they will ask for it. I think if I had been able to just talk through this, I remember finally like emailing my mom like during that summer and asking her why, like, why do I have to believe this or why was I told this? And I honestly think that that was helpful for me to be able to. And if your children like writing or journaling or yeah, using email or whatever form of communication that they enjoy where they feel safe to write that and give it to you, I encourage you to give them that option instead of face-to-face -face, um, until, you know, until it's time for them to that they want to talk to you about it. But I think being able to write out all my thoughts and then just send it via email to my mom was so helpful for me to process myself and I don't honestly think I was looking for her reply. I think I just wanted to say that. But I also think I had just already made the decision in my head that even if I, I need to figure out why myself, like your why, I know what you're going to say, you know. And so that was hard. I think that's hard. But now as a parent, I don't, I just want to be able to say like, tell me, I'd rather you just tell me. And if you want me just to listen, I will listen. And I want to be able to relate with them too. And so I think being able to find, even if it's not the same situation, 
I think not even asking them to tell you, you share your experience. Like if you notice a pattern of they're being secretive, share a story of, of a time where you were secretive and where that just ate away at you or that you feel bad about that or you wish you had someone to share that with. Like they don't have to respond back to you. They don't have to, or you don't want them to feel like they have to just share right then and there. But I think them being able to know that they're not the only one that has done that and that you have someone they look up to, whether you feel like that they do right now or not, they do. (laughs) They're watching you and you're their example. And I think getting down on their level instead of saying, I'm the parent, this is what I say and you follow it. It's more like, I see you. I may not be able to exactly relate to everything you're saying, but I want to hear what you have to say, or I want to, I want to understand, or I, I didn't have that problem, you know, uh, drinking or something like that, but maybe there's something that you had like a problem with, whether it was some experience you had. I mean, I know that you, your experience with alcohol is with seeing the effects that people it has on people who do drink instead of your own personal experience. And so I think that's, you know, helpful or at least some way to relate Mm -hmm. to them. Well, I hate to interrupt this time as we talk to Maya, but I wanted just to share with you, first of all, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And if you haven't done it yet, please share it so other people can enjoy it. And also, if you have not subscribed to it, please do. And uh, we would love to have you go into our website. It's www.romans12ministries.org. It's romans1212ministries.org. And there is an area there that you can look at resources. There's also a button there to donate as we come alongside pastors and ministry leaders and missionaries and their families and do life with them. And so we'd love to have you partner with us if you can. Now let's get back to the rest of our talk with Maya. So, you know, I, I just want to, it's hard. Was it, I mean, as a ministry leader, um, especially in a school setting, and we are dealing with pastors and their kids, there's a perception and a pressure that these kids need to behave a certain way because your mother or your father are these leaders and uh, people are looking at you a little bit differently. Did you feel that a little bit in your your high school years and then in college, being on your own, you could do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely say, again, I said I'm an Enneagram 3. I Image is very important to me, and that was also made apparent, I think, would be the word, or that that was we, we're towns. Like, we are looked upon as, you know, the model child. At least for me, that was my perspective. And you know, when I mentioned my senior year dating a boy from the high school, public high school, no one would have known that or you wouldn't have known that if staff didn't know who I was leaving with him after school. Like it wouldn't have been told to anyone. So yeah, there were a lot of eyes watching and I think I handled it somewhat well during high school and all of that. But um feeling like I was free and no one knew who I was 
um, or that what a town meant when I went to college. One, it gave me, I really just, I take pride in the town name though. I think that is like has been instilled in me and I do still love saying I'm a town. Um, but I also didn't have that pressure as well. So yeah, and I mean, everyone's gonna handle different things differently. I think the way that I was as a firstborn, I guess wired, I was able to handle it because I do appreciate identity and having an outward appearance of everything's okay and success. And I've learned now, you know, that's not healthy. Um, but I handled it, I think, well, where then my siblings, you know, they all had different, would have different perceptions of what that meant to them too. So I think taking into consideration what birth order your child is at or how they perceive or interpret, you know, situations and things like that. So we have some listeners that are, are in this transition. They're going to be graduating. They're moving on. Uh, what advice would you give them from your perspective? Like children leaving? Yep. Oh, okay. Well, I would absolutely say communicate, even if it's hard. Um, you know, write letters to your parents or talk things through. Or when you, if you're going to a brand new city or place, Get plugged in somewhere. Um, find your core group of people. I mean, God's going to use your story and your experiences how he wants it to be. So I would just say I don't regret anything because I've seen how God has used it to work in my life. But I also don't want people to experience everything that I experienced. So I would just really... Focus on asking those questions now, though, before you leave. Why, you know, even to yourself, like, why do I believe this? Why do I want to maintain this value? What are my values? And how am I going to stick to those when I get on my own? And, yeah, you may not make the best choices. And life is full of choices. And I think that if you make a choice that is not the best I think really reflecting on why you decided to make that decision how did you feel what would you do differently and then who can you tell who can you process that out loud with and I hope that it could be your parents or your siblings or a good friend or uh, some family member but being able to know that you can share and not keep that within is so incredibly important. Mm. And what advice would you give parents who are in doing this funky dance mm -hmm. of saying goodbye or transition? Uh, what, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would say that I can completely only imagine what you are going through right now. Um, as a parent now, I can definitely see that you're just trying to protect your kids. You're trying to keep them safe and little, and you don't want to know or think about the decisions that they will make and that they'll be on their own and that we won't have that control over them. But I just say keep 
those lines of communication open. I wouldn't assume they're going to make choices because I think that is what pushed me to make those decisions is that there was an assumption told to me that you will drink. You're going, I know you're going to, um, or I know you're going to just, you know, maybe not said, but like, I know you're going to make decisions or I wish you wouldn't, but I know you will. And so like when I turned 21, it was like, I know you're going to drink and or get drunk. And so I think just being able to say like, you know, I hope that you have a great day. Um, But, you know, if there's anything that happens or you need to talk about or you're thinking about doing something, please know that you can always just tell me. You know, I don't know. I would just check in with them, let them know you're thinking of them, not necessarily asking, what are they doing? What did they do last night? Or things like that. Um, But I just say, like, how are you doing? Or thinking about you. And if you have your own college experiences, I would share that with them, but not in a presumptuous way that they are going to do this exact same thing. So, I think just that line of communication is so important. But again, just knowing that they can always come back to family because that's what I did. I finally realized, you know, rock bottom that I need Jesus and I need my family. And so being able to finally realize that, you know, I don't want anyone, I wouldn't wish my journey upon anyone really, Um if you could avoid some of the decisions I made, I would highly recommend that. But it did bring me back home. It brought me back to the basics and like foundation of, yeah, I can't do this on my own. And so just, I think, letting your children know that they can always come home or that you're always there for them because you are their safe place. (laughs) Whether you feel that way right now or not, based on their actions or what they say, they deep down and they'll come back and they'll know that you were just trying to protect them and that there are many things that you were right about, but that they had to go experience on their own. And so I think, yeah, it's just a new time, a new transition and you both are navigating new things. And so no one's going to be perfect at it, but I think being aware that we can navigate through it together is I think speaks more than words. Maya Lynn, what a joy as I sit across from you. I just am absolutely just so proud of you and love you. And uh, our story is a beautiful story mm-hmm. of God's amazing grace. And so I want to thank you so much for sharing openly. And um, yeah, you're loved. So are you. Thank you for joining us today at another episode of Relate, Refresh, and Restore, a podcast sponsored by Romans 12 Ministries. For more information on Romans 12 Ministries, visit us at romans12ministries.org or give us a call at 520-982-5877. May we all continue to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer.